You may be seated. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn, if you will, to 1 John, where we left off this morning. Last Sunday night, I had my regular glasses, and I could hardly read with them. For some reason, as the day goes on, it gets later in the day, my eyes get worse. And so I brought the glasses that I have by my bedside, uh, because at night when I'm reading in bed, uh, I need a stronger uh, pair. And so I brought those tonight, and it'll help me to read, but you all are kind of blurry, so (laughs) sorry about that. Um, But we come tonight to the uh, difficult passage here in one of the, probably the most difficult passage uh, verses in 1 John. You remember Peter, as he closes out the second epistle, I think it is, he says that Paul had written some things that were hard to understand. And there are passages like that in the Word of God. Um, But John also wrote some things that are a little bit hard to understand. And uh, thankful again for Alistair Begg. I've mentioned him several times today, but he said, keep the main things, the main things, and the plain things are the main things. Um, So there are things that we do understand and we know and we are assured of, but there are things that that are hard and difficult in God's word. Um, And tonight we come to this passage here where after John has spoken about some things that we have assurance, we have confidence in, We have confidence that if we have believed in the name of the Son of God, that we know, we know that we have eternal life. It's not just a ticket out of hell. It is a life that God has imparted to us, a divine life. We are partakers of the divine nature in the gospel, and uh, we thank God for that. Another assurance that we have is that We have confidence before God, and we're able to make petitions before him and know that as we ask according to his will, that he hears us in verse 15. And we are thankful for that. And so we have confidence, and we are able to have the boldness. Hebrews 4.15 says we have boldness to come to our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, And uh, we don't do this in ourselves and who we are. And as believers, when we talk about things that we know and that we are confident of, that we are assured of, a lot of people might think that we're boasting and, you know, well, who do you think you are? And it's not that at all, is it? We are confident of things because of grace. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of anything that we have done It is for grace that we have received. Everything that we have received is by the grace of God, and therefore the things that we are assured of rest upon not us, but God and who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so John says we're able to come and we're able to make our requests known to him. We talked a little bit about this, what it means to pray according to the will of God. And then we come to verse 16, where now John gives us a specific area, a specific example of prayer. Um, 
And again, this is one of the difficult passages here in John as well as in the Bible. And I said we'll do this uh, tonight because we ran out of time this morning. But here it is. uh, And he says in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sins not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. So we'll talk a little bit tonight about this, these phrases, sin that does not lead to death and sin that does lead to death. So as we look at verses 16 and 17 here, I want to begin with what is, first of all, clear. Um, There is something that is clear that we can understand, and then we'll look at what is maybe less clear for us. But the first thing is uh, something that is clear for us, and that is we are called to pray for a sinning brother. If anyone sees his brother sinning, and, and this is a present participle, and it's the idea of not just a incidental sin, but there seems to be this pattern, this path that a believer who's professed Christ has gone down, and it's not a good path. And he is sinning. And uh, John says that we are to pray for him. Um, so this is not necessarily an isolated sin, but it seems to be a course of sin that he's undertaken. And... Uh, We know that as Christians that we do sin, don't we? I don't think I have to elaborate on that tonight. And Paul, or John, says that in 1 John 2. I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But we know that we have inclinations to sin. We have remaining corruptions in us. And sometimes God's people have sinned grievously. As we think of the Old Testament, we think of David and some of his sins. We think of Peter. Remember Peter in the upper room? I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. Before the night is out, what does he do? But three times he denies the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know in our own spiritual life, and our own spiritual experience, sometimes our hearts become cold. We put off the means of grace that God has given to us that we would grow. We, we neglect the word of God. We neglect prayer. Maybe we even neglect assembling with God's people. And we can be given over to our besetting sins and temptations And we know what it is like sheep to, we're prone to wonder, to leave the God we love. And so we know this. Um, And the Bible certainly reminds us that sin is an issue that we must deal with. And if we're honest with ourselves, we could all say and sing this hymn that we all need prayer. It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer Not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. 
And we, as a body of believers, we need to pray for one another. Here's a wonderful recourse for the church of Jesus Christ. As John says here, praying for one another that he will give him life. Um, And the question I have tonight as we think about that, as we think about praying for one another, as we see somebody that's gone in a direction that is contrary to the way we ought to live as Christians, what is our immediate response when we see this or we hear of this or we know of this in someone's life? Are we indifferent? Are we uncaring about a straying brother or sister? Or do we possibly become smug and kind of puffed up with pride and self-righteous? Well, you know, I would never do that. And we condescend and we look down maybe upon this brother or sister. Or maybe this, do we gossip or do we talk to others about it rather than talking to God? And this is what John calls us to do as we see a brother or sister sinning, that we are to pray for them. We are called to do this. And uh, this is a means of grace for the church of Jesus Christ, to pray for one another, especially when we see a brother or a sister going in a path of sin. And we're told here that God will hear If this is not a sin that is unto death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin that is not leading to death. Now, I think that this is a brother. John says this. We're praying for a brother uh, who is sinning. Um, So he already has eternal life. And John says here that as we pray for him, that God would give him life. Now, I think there's another way maybe we would understand this life, that it is not that he's lost his salvation and he needs eternal life. We know that eternal life is eternal life. It can't be lost. It can't be taken away. But there is a way in which life is communicated to a sinning brother as we pray for them. And we pray that God revive his heart and renew this spiritual life that is already within them, and bring about a conviction of sin, bring about repentance, that they might be restored to the Lord and fellowship, and uh, that there would be in their life a spiritual health and vitality that has been missing maybe for some time, and that they would come to know the comfort that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the promise that he forgives our sins. And so we are to pray for one another. And uh, we also know that there are other means. You know, Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual, if somebody's fallen into sin, that you go and you seek to bring, that, bring about repentance and minister to them. But here is to pray that God will give them life, this sense of the abundance of the life that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And when we pray like this, when we see a brother or sister that's sinning, we are, we are praying and we have the spirit of Christ. For you remember what Jesus said to Peter in the upper room 
as he was saying, I'll not, I'll not deny you. And he says, no, before the night's out, you'll deny me three times. But Peter, what does he say to him? I am praying for you that when you return, not if you return, but when you return, that you will strengthen your brothers. And we are thankful that we have brothers and sisters to pray for us, but we also have an advocate in heaven who uh, is at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. And Jesus is our great advocate. So that is what is clear, I think, in this passage, that we can understand that we indeed are to pray for one another, and I hope that God would make that to increase in all of us, um, that we pray for one another, not just in this way, but in many other ways as well. Now, what is not so clear is this sin that is unto death. Um, This probably was a situation that was familiar when John wrote this to these recipients of this letter. They probably understood exactly what John was speaking about. Um, But it probably, it's, it's less clear to us. And when we come to this passage, like other difficult passages, as many commentaries as you might read, there are that many (laughs) interpretations of what it means. And that's what we find when we come to this passage as well. So I read John MacArthur, I look at the Geneva Bible, and I've looked at others, and oftentimes you get several different opinions about what this is. So here is what John is referring to. Pray for those, uh, and God will hear you, pray for those that, that, that have not sinned, a sin that is, that is going to, uh, that is unto death. Um, and then he goes on to say about uh, there is a sin that does lead to death. Um, and so what, what is in the mind of John as he writes this? And I'm basically going to give you a lot of those different interpretations, um, and you can land where you will. I'm kind of not sure exactly where I'm landing, but I think a couple of them together uh, seem to make sense. Um, as he talks about here death, uh, there is a sin that is unto death. There are some that take this to mean that there is a Christian who can sin and actually lose his life that there is a persistence in sin, and one of the ways that God judges them is by taking their life. Can you think of some examples maybe in the New Testament where we find that? Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit. Another one? We come to the Lord's Supper. We often read this passage. There are many sick among you, and some who have fallen asleep, not in the pew. (laughs) They had a funeral. They died because they profaned the Lord's Supper. Well, yeah, that might be a question, but it seems that they were among the assembly and were, we don't know for sure. Um, and so there are those that say that there is a chastening of the Lord where we sin and we're bringing disgrace to the name of the Lord, and he just takes us out of this world. 
Um, and John MacArthur holds that view with regard to John here. However, I think as we look at the context, I always I hate to disagree with John MacArthur, but uh, um, the context, when it talks about life and death in this context, I think, and, and reading earlier in the chapter, it, it's talking about spiritual life, and, it, and it's talking about spiritual death. If we have believed in the name of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, and uh, we do not come uh, uh, unto spiritual death. So I think that in the context that this death probably is not a physical death. So some of the other views uh, with regard to this, um, and by the way, you know the Catholic Church has mortal sin and venial sin. There are some sins that are bad, very bad, and I think you go to purgatory for those, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But there are other venial sins that are not as drastic, and you get forgiveness for those, or you can do penance. Does that sound right? Okay, I should have read up on that. But anyway, um, this I don't think is looking at a specific sin, that the sin of homosexuality is an unforgivable sin. It's a sin that leads to death or murder, or something like that. So, what is this sin that is unto death? Well, some have said that it's a state or a habit of sinning willfully chosen and persisted in. We, it's, it's a habit of sin that we willfully choose, someone willfully chooses, and they persist in it. And this would not be a believer. This would be someone who is unregenerate, we have these words in, by Paul in Romans 8.13, that if we live according to the flesh, we will what? We will die. And that's speaking about, we'll not only die physically, but we, we will die spiritually, eternal judgment. So if we live, if that's, that's a present tense verb, if we are living according to the course of this world, we're living according to our fleshly desires, and it may not be an outright you know, immoral life in a community, but we're just living for ourselves. That if we live according to the flesh, disregard to who God is and any claims that he would have on our life, if we live according to flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit we are, present tense, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. If we walk in the Spirit, we, 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 we are those who are regenerated, and this will be manifested in our life. So it's a, it's a habit of sin, willfully chosen, and, and, and it's persisted in, and it will lead to um, eternal death. Um, Jesus also said that he who, he who saves his life will what? You will lose it. You, you want to hang on to your life. I'm going to call the shots in my life. I'm going to decide what's good and bad. I'm going to hang on to my life. You will lose it. But what? If you lose, if someone loses their life for my sake, they will gain it. They will gain eternal life. But this other one who's hanging on to it is going to lose it. Um, What profit is it if you gain the whole world and, and you lose your own soul? Uh, secondly, there is, um, some have suggested that there is this stubborn rejection of Jesus Christ. This is unbelief when it comes to the gospel. 
So John is referring to a stubborn refusal to accept the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is in the footnote of the Geneva Study Bible. And uh, we read in 1 John 1.10 that John says there that if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I have not sinned. I don't need a savior. I don't need Jesus Christ. And there is this unbelief. And someone who continually persists in this unbelief with regard to the gospel, um, this is a sin that will be unto death. Jesus said in John eight twenty four, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, uh, that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus also said in John 3 that men love darkness rather than the light, and they will not come to the light. This light is Jesus. He's coming to this world, and he is the light that is coming to the world, and men hate the light. They won't come to the light. And so this is saying that it's a rejection of Jesus Christ, and this is a sin that is unto death. And those are really kind of similar. And then those, there are those who say the, this is the unpardonable sin. This is a view that uh, Steve Larson, I listened to one of his messages on this, and this is a position that he took that is a reference to the unpardonable sin. Um, this we find in Matthew 12, if you want to turn there. And uh, this, too, is one of those difficult passages um, where Jesus speaks about all other sins will be forgiven, but this sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 31, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. So what is this unpardonable sin that Jesus is speaking about? Well, if you look at the previous context, Here is Jesus who has healed a man that is demon-possessed. Three things. He's demon-possessed, he's blind, and he's mute. Verse 22. And what does Jesus do but heal this man? And he's now able to see, he's now able to hear, and the demon has been cast out. And all the people are saying, could this not be the son of David? Could this not be the Messiah that we have been awaiting and we have been looking for? And what do the Pharisees say? This fellow does not cast out demons except by who? Beelzebub. Beelzebub. The ruler of the demons. It's a name for Satan. So what they do is attribute what Jesus has done to Satan. And they really blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They ascribe his works to Beelzebub. And it is on that that it says, 
that those who blaspheme or who um, speak a word against the Holy Spirit, that this sin will not be forgiven. And what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit but to glorify Christ, to make Christ known? And so where the Spirit of God is making Christ known and someone attributes that work to Satan, this is the sin of uh, unpardonable sin. Now, there are those that say that that was only possible in the days of Christ. There are some that take that position. That was only when you could see the miracle that Jesus did and then say it was done by Satan. That's the power by which he did it. Not by the Spirit of God, but by Satan. Uh, others, and I would probably take this view, that it's not, not just for the time of Christ. People today can blaspheme the name of Christ and, and reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit and bring uh, contempt and blaspheme the name of Christ. And um, there are those who say that this is what John is referring to, that those who are sinning this death, the unpardonable sin, they're guilty of this, and it will lead to death. Um, A fourth view that is kind of tied to that and related to it is the sin of apostasy. Um, And what is the sin of apostasy? It is someone who, it's not a specific sin, but it, and it's not just, it's not backsliding, but it's somebody that has been among the people of God and have professed faith in Christ, sang in church with the people of God and worshiped with them and uh, professed Christ, but then they turn away. They apostatize. They turn away. That's the idea of an apostate, turning away from that which they had formerly believed. Um, and I think in Hebrews 6, we get a picture of this as it's another one of the tough verses in the New Testament. But there, the apostle says that there are those who have tasted of the heavenly gift Um, They have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. They have tasted the goodness of the word and the power of the age to come. And then they fall away. This is the idea of they've apostatized. They've turned away. And the author says that it is impossible that they would be brought to repentance. So there's a way in which God's judgment falls even in this life before someone has died, that God's judgment comes and their hearts are so hardened that it is impossible to renew them unto repentance. And I think that there is something of maybe these two maybe together, there's a lot of similarities. When we think about what happened in in the context of 1 John, turn back to chapter 2. And you remember that there had been, these people had been among them, but they had gone out from them. They had professed Christ, but now they have changed their views of Christ. Now, these probably have not blasphemed Christ like um, Jesus spoke about with the Pharisees, but they did say that he was not the Son of God and that uh, he was not the source of eternal life, the ultimate source of eternal life. 
And we read there, uh, we'll go back to verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Okay, there were those who were among them, some of these teachers and probably respected people. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So they went out from us to show that they were never really of us. Um, They had not remained among the people of God who had the apostolic truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ preached by the apostles. They've gone out from apostolic truth teaching as it came through John and Paul and Peter and James. They went out from us. They didn't continue with us. And again, it's not just that they left church and maybe went to another church. No, they left the, the, the church where the apostolic truth, the, the gospel was preached. And then John says they were never really of us because if they really were Believers, they would have remained with us. Notice verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So I think that as John is writing and talking about those who have committed a sin that is unto death are people that they were familiar with, people in their own church that had gone out from them and were guilty of apostasy and turning against this gospel that they said they formally believed and had turned away from it. Now, there, now, John goes on to say that, you know, I don't say that you should pray for them. If you know someone that has turned away. Now, sometimes we don't know um, someone that has turned away in this way. Um, and John doesn't say, don't pray for them. But I'm not saying that you should. He suggests that. Uh, but sometimes we're not really clear about somebody that has truly turned away from the faith. Sometimes we have some good indications. But... Um, we may still want to pray that God would tra- change their hearts. Um, but this is a sin that, has le- that leads to death, eternal death. Um, and this is spoken about in Revelation 21.8. John is writing about the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the earth, and he says, He who overcomes will inherit all this and will be He will be his God and he will be his son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts or the occult, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of sulfur. This is the second death. This is the second death. There is a physical death, but there's a death that is worse. It is an eternal death, away from the presence 
of the greatest and the best of all beings and being under his wrath. It is the second death. And so there are these true Christians. And John says, when you see a brother that has been among you and you know that he's fallen into a way that is not right, we are to pray for them. We are to pray for them. And, And we know this, that a true believer will not persist in sin. Um, we read here in the next verse, we'll look at these next week, but verse 18, he says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. And this is a present tense. It's not going to be his pattern of life to sin. It doesn't mean he will never sin. I, I pray to God it doesn't mean that, or I'm in big trouble. Yeah, we're all in trouble. It's, I don't know, the NIV, has anybody have the NIV help translate that? The what? The what? Verse 18. 18, yeah. No, no, no. Chapter 4, 5. 518. Yeah. Okay, there it is. Does not continue to sin. So we know this about a brother or sister. They, if they're in Christ... They're not going to continue in habitual sin. That will not become the, the, the course of life that they will live, but God will chasten them. God will restore them. They will repent, and they will uh, follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to pray to that end. Um, they cannot repudiate Christ, and they will be kept by the power of God, as Peter says, and they will follow after Jesus Christ. And so if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I haven't given you maybe a clear um, understanding of what this death, uh, sin unto death is, but I think it's somewhere in this idea of apostasy, someone that has been greatly illuminated and just continues now and goes back into their sin, just in light of the context of 1 John. So, any thoughts before we close? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the same thing. Okay. The unpardonable sin, yeah. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.